Ethiopica is an ancient Greek novel by Heliodorus, written around 350 to 375 AD. The protagonist, Caracalia, is the daughter of King Hydaspes and Queen Persina of Ethiopia. However, she was born white. According to the theory of maternal impression, Caracalia's pale skin is the result of her mother seeing a painting of a white goddess while conceiving her. Fearing accusations of adultery, the queen abandons her baby daughter but leaves her with three gifts, an inscribed ribbon with Ethiopic characters, a necklace, and a ring. The ring has magical powers and is described as set with a jewel called Pentarbi and inscribed with certain sacred characters with the power to repel fire and bestow immunity from the flames on its wearer. Sisamithras, a gymnosophist, finds the baby and takes her to Egypt. He places her in the care of Caracalis, a Pythian priest. Caracalia is then taken to Delphi and made a priestess of Artemis. Later, Theogonis, a noble Thessalian, comes to Delphi and the two fall in love. The handsome Theogonis runs off with the beautiful Caracalia with the help of Calasiris, an Egyptian who has been hired by Persina. These main characters ultimately meet at Meroe at the very moment when Caracalia is about to be sacrificed to the gods by her own father. Her birth is finally made known, and the lovers are happily married. Heliodorus's novel was immensely influential, and was imitated by Byzantine Greeks and by French, Italian, and Spanish writers. The structure, events, and themes of the European adventure novel of the first half of the 17th century were directly modeled on Heliodorus's work. The work's influence continued to be felt through to the 18th century novel, especially those having a tale within a tale structure. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Greg. I'm Claire. So, Claire, let's start with the author. What do we know about Heliodorus? Right. Well, information about Heliodorus is really scarce, given how old the work is, right? But according to scholars, the earliest historical account on the author is taken between 306 and 439 AD, when, and by the way, this is actually recorded by Socrates. So when Heliodorus was appointed a bishop of Shrika in Thessaly, where he introduced ecclesiastical celibacy. Clerical celibacy is the requirement in certain religions that some or all members of the clergy be unmarried and refrain from indulging in sexual thoughts and behavior, because these impulses are considered as sinful. So, according to Socrates' account, Heliodorus composed an erotic book which he wrote in his youth, titled *Ethiopica*. The fact that Heliodorus became a Christian and later a bishop made this earlier work of his actually the only, that's the only known work that we know, which is *Ethiopica*, and it made it instantly a scandal since it is believed to have corrupted so many young people, and therefore the local synod allowed Heliodorus to choose one of the two options. Resign his bishopric or burn his novel, and he chose the first, and that's why we're able to enjoy this Greek work of literature. That's interesting. Not many people would exchange a steady and respected job for freedom from censorship, even nowadays. So kudos to Heliodorus. That's right. What do we know about Egypt at the time? You know, its geography, religion, customs. How does the backdrop of Egypt inform our reading of the novel? 
Right. Well, according to Dr. Meridia Fuchirpinhero, who is a leading scholar on Ethiopia, Egypt represents the very soul of Heliodorus' novel. The、uh, action of the story takes place during the Persian occupation of Egypt in 525 BC. So Egypt is the geographical and human setting in which the author arranges his narrative. Through Egypt, one can also peek into the story's ethnographic nature and exoticism, which are notably on the Nile and its floods. The Nile is the guiding thread of all the action. As the narrative begins at an already advanced stage of the plot, at the Heracleotic mouth of the Nile, and it ends at Meroe, the capital of Ethiopia,、uh, which is actually 40 to 50 days later, accompanying Heraclea's troubled journey back to her father's home, which she had earlier departed under circumstances,、uh, and that the, the narrator gradually reveals through extensive secondary narrative, and this secondary narrative is cleverly slotted into the main story. And the other thing is, key characters such as Cadaceres represents the Egyptian Neoplatonic theosophy as well. And then Egypt was this quintessential land of superstition and magic, whose reputation Heliodorus' novel pays homage to. For example, the episode of the old woman in the village of Bessa, whose spells succeed in resuscitating the corpse of the son who died in the battle, and the worship of the sun god is clearly reflected and, and expressed in the novel through the author, whose name literally means the gift of the sun. There's also this worship of goddess of the moon in the plot where、uh, Heraclea is involved. The、uh, narrative also unfolds along the Nile, which is the most powerful of gods. So, in any way, Heliodorus describes these customs of the Egyptians in great detail,、uh, which are largely based on his own personal experience. And according to scholars, Heliodorus' view of Egypt in Ethiopia is literally the、uh, reflection of a sort of like a collective feeling of the Greeks and Romans, which. Consisted of a、uh, mixture of curiosity and attraction, while at the same time, there is also this sense of rejection. So Egypt is portrayed as this kind of terrifying other of the Greco-Roman culture, while at the same time celebrated as an ancient site. Let's talk about the literary aesthetics that dominated the Greco-Roman world during the Second Sophistic Period, roughly the second century BC to the fourth century AD. What is the style of this period, and how does it play into the overall narrative structure of Ethiopia? Right, Heliodorus is said to be a master of this literary prose that dominated the Greco-Roman world, just as you mentioned.、Um, first of all, with the familiar Homeric trope of medias res, which in Latin means again middle of things, right?、Um, Heliodorus uses antithesis and paradox to begin his story, where a merchant ship was. Was marooned and wrecked by traces of a recent and terrible bloody fight. It goes by, and here I quote: "In that small space, the deity have had contrived an infinitely varied spectacle, defiling wine with blood and unleashing war at the party, combining whining, dying, pouring drink, pouring of drink, and spilling of blood, and staging this tragic show for the Egyptian bandits." This sort of depiction gives readers an almost cinematic spectacle, which arouses their feelings of strangeness and perplexity. Second, 
Hirudor's physical description of the main characters is a recurrent topos in Greek novel, like the way Homer describes his heroes. But he surely does better than Homer.、Um, Hirudor certainly makes use of the technique of the、uh, ecomium from the schools of rhetoric by depicting the physical attributes of the protagonist and thus erasing their matchless beauty and creating through them a detailed portrait. It is in this way that Heliodorus enhances his plot through the dramatization of his characters. This is unprecedented compared with other Greek novels at the time, where characters are described in a more perfunctory and、uh, decorative way in order to push the plot going. And then the third feature of this literary style is exoticism, marked with Heliodorus' fascination with spectacles. Through descriptive passages, Heliodorus uses microscopic events in which his actors act before spectators, and he he makes use of both intradiegetic and extradiegetic elements, which are basically equivalent to Shakespearean trope of play within a play,、uh, which can be exemplified by if one can recall the scene that Hamlet puts on a show for his uncle in order to invoke his uncle's moral reflection. And this aesthetic trope often draws attention to the reader's involvement and pathos, and that's just brilliant. Right. Based on what you just said, Ethiopica demonstrates the complexity of storytelling. One of the important dimensions of sophisticated storytelling is the enhancement of minor characters, who often help push the plot forward. How does Heliodorus achieve that? Well, according to Pinheiro, a character encountered earlier at the level of the main character later appears linked to events situated in the past. Heliodorus plays with a limited number of characters who move in concentric circles. That's why we find a, a series of overlapping and interlocking stories. Right?、Um, he truly masters this technique that consists of maintaining different lines of action in abeyance and. And using them at precisely the right moment to intensify the reader's interest and suspense. For example, through the episode that occurs between Calisiris and Neman, in which the narrative of the old priest is introduced, we learn that Calisiris' prehistory is closely linked to that of Theagenes and Chariclea, and that the person who receives Calisiris in his own house is none other than the merchant from Naucratis, with whom Thisbe had fled from Athens, and finally that Thymus is the son of the high priest of Isis. In other words, the story reveals a perfect unity, or what Hefty calls a close Kushlossenheit. It is simply just fascinating how complex the storytelling is. Can you say more about this notion of close Kushlossenheit? Sure, this German term can be directly translated into big coherence or big unity, but under this context per se, it further signifies a sort of circular rather than linear narrative structure. According to Pinheiro, whose work I really admire, she says that the past benefits from a privileged status of autonomy and performs a fundamental role in the plot's development, since it has a very big and decisive influence on the present. It represents the last stage and undoubtedly the most important one in this long journey, placed from the outset under divine protection, during which the、uh, mechanisms were set in motion, leading to 
the、uh, dramatic resolution of the destinies of the protagonists, who are finally entrusted to Hideus and Selene. And you just cannot find this trait in other extant novels. So this finely structured network, which links the past and the present into a sort of unitary and concentrated, or、uh, and even harmonious whole, is also found at the level of the main action. So the novel is structured around a fairly restricted chronological scale, and the plot is condensed into a short space of time. And in Ethiopia. The action does not revolve around a limited number of characters, right? But it is actually divided into various clusters, which are、uh, grouped together in a dynamic constellation of relations. And in this elaborate structure, everything is linked together, and everything has its own weight and importance. The main plot is thus gradually thickened through the successive addition of new centers and action that are constantly multiplied, dividing and then reuniting everything together. In other words, Hiroyuki's techniques of deliberate anticipation, equivocations, suspense,、um, economy. Uh, unity of action, or or even cinematic technique, if you will, all testify to the sophistication of the work. Right, how Ethiopia is defined as a literary genre has always been a problematic issue for genre studies. In defining the topology of ancient prose fiction, we commonly identify Ethiopia as an ancient novel. Right, what patterns or features of this kind of narrative typify the ancient novel? Right. I think what's worth to mention here is the term novel, which was only recently accepted as an official designation at the first international conference on the ancient novel,、um, which was sponsored by B. P. Reardon in 1976, when scholars in classics began to define two modernities in our history in general. One is the Greek-Roman modernity, which is the direct result of a long and complex cultural phenomenon. And the other is widely known already, the European modernity, which、um, claims to be this historical and literary heir to the former, and within which the novel is counted among the richest and the most productive manifestations. This controversial genre called the ancient novel is therefore considered to have emerged and、uh, flourished in the、uh, Hellenistic and Roman periods, but. When we begin to label and le- legitimize a certain genre, Pinheiro warns us that we should always be mindful that a genre can be fluid, and this is also what philosopher Yakdahida later highlighted、uh, in his works that genre fiction often accompanies some level of unconscious stratification and hierarchical intention, right? But even so, the fact is. Scholars of classics have generally acknowledged that fictional narrative in antiquity was not characterized according to any specific taxonomy due to aesthetic, literary, and social motives. Whereas other scholars like Borisak regards the birth of Greek prose fiction under the Emperor Nero as an important historical event, which is closely linked to. The reaffirmation and cultural differences within a homogenous and peaceful administration, as well as to the emergence of a nemimanical Hellenism that is capable of assimilating the remains of what was previously regarded as barbarian, right? 
the emergence of the use of ancient novel that only came after the theorization of European novel, the European novel speaks to the fact that it it is also a product under modern hermeneutic context when we always felt the need to relabel a genre over times. And this larger picture of genre fiction is useful to think of the universal laws that typify ancient Greek novels. To begin with, the name novel itself is pretty much anachronistic term for this ancient genre. But what this label really translates into or really means is how innovative the ancient Greek novels are compared with their predecessors. So it is in a way a very problematic attempt to categorize a group of narrative as the ancient Greek novel. Regardless, we do have five idealized narratives or the so-called Liebschromen, namely Chariton's Chariots and uh, Clairoi, Xenophon's The Ephesian Tale, Achilles, Tatius, Lucipe and Cleitophon, Longus, Stephanus and Chloe, and Heliodorus, Ethiopica. And of course, there are other more fragmented and shorter versions or works that can be put under this category as well. Long story short, this group of narratives known as the ancient novel appear roughly around the first century AD. It is a type of uh, long prose narrative uh, whose plot and characters are adapted from either folktale, myth, philosophical dialogue, um, comedy, uh, of course, epic, romance, satire, or even obscene tales. The plot is often episodic, offering more uh, sort of realistic depictions of ordinary or even less than ordinary people in urban settings. Um, the quest is a, a favorite plot as well as the adventurous sea voyage often focused on the dilemmas two young lovers, male and female, face when they are often separated and attempt to reunite again. So supernatural elements are often woven into the plot with uh, some kind of magic spells, potions, epiphanies of gods or goddesses often appearing to thwart or assist the protagonists as well. That's really enlightening. Thanks, Claire. If you enjoyed this episode, show your support through theglobalnovel.com slash donate so we can keep making education and literature accessible to listeners around the world. Thank you so much for listening.